This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. One minute past nine. We're early for a change. <laughs> You're listening to 102.73 Triple R. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name's Bron Burton. We're going to be joined in the studio shortly by John Ford, who is on his way in. He's had a few uh, public transport woes, so uh, he's making his way through. Um, I'm going to put Nerida on the mic as well. Good morning, Nerida. Good morning, you're, Bron. You're our um, our technical producer today. Yes, I am. And uh, you did live wire last night as well. I did. So I did. Can you hear you. the voice? Can you hear the voice? <laughs> Good show, by the way. It was fun. I yes. Listen back on the listen back on the on the on demand if you're interested. Yeah, well, yeah. everyone should. Yeah. Um, many thanks to Tim. Many thanks to uh, Martha Tilston and her. That was awesome. It was that pretty was beautiful. So good. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was beautiful and it, mm, perfect. Perfect for Sunday morning. That's so, right. Yeah. Very focused. God, show good today. on her. Good on her for getting up that early. Like after a show last night and a show this afternoon. Yeah. So get on down, Caravan Music Club afternoon. Awesome. Hey, uh, yes, and thank you, Tim. Very folky show today. Folky. All right, on our program today, um, John's going to, he will get here. He's had some public transport woes. He's got some marine news. I've got a little bit that I've just spotted in um, today's Sunday Age as well. We're going to be joined in studio by Glenda Nichols. She is the curator of an amazing exhibition which has opened up at the Koori Heritage Trust. We mentioned this on the program last week called Weaving the Waterways. Um, And it's an exhibition specifically um, about Aboriginal women's connection with the rivers and uh, and waterways, water country across Victoria. Uh, it opened uh, last week and it's going to run till the 14th of May. So we're going to be speaking with Glenda about that exhibition. Then we're going to be crossing to the Mornington Peninsula to have a chat with Adam Shackloff. Um, Adam actually came up to me at our outside broadcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and introduced himself and he's wo- working with the Mornington Peninsula Council on uh, a, a strategy that they've got going called Clean and Green Peninsula and they're looking for community input into what uh, people, I, I don't know whether you have to live on the Mornington Peninsula or just, just sort of love it. Hang out on the do. Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, so looking for uh, community contributions to, to what this might be. What do you want out of your Mornington Peninsula? So we're going to have a chat with Adam about that. Then we're going to be speaking with uh, Malcolm Nicholson. Uh, he is from Summers and has been, he's a marine educator and a general environmental educator. He's been doing it for as long as Triple R has existed, Nerida. That would be 40 years. It would. <laughs> so he's going to come in. He's driven all the way up from Summers this morning and going to be talking about life as a marine educator. And uh, I think he's just arrived. He's just arrived. Excellent. <laughs> we'll let him settle in. Uh, so that'll be wonderful. Um, yeah, yeah, excellent. And then to close the show, Rex Hunter is coming in and he's going to be talking to us about um, the wrecks of Port Phillip Bay. Uh, if you were down at our OB, you would have actually um, got to hear a bit about Rex and what he does. But uh, he was talking about heading off after the show and looking for a wreck that he knew, uh, as, as a lot of maritime archaeologists do from records, they know the wrecks are out there, but they don't know where they are. He's discovered one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I think it was the way. How long has he been doing this for? 25 years? Oh, Something like that. Longer? yeah. Longer, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he's going to tell Excellent. us about his discovery. So it's Excellent. very exciting. 
Uh, so that's our program today. And very shortly I'm going to be crossing to uh, speak with Mark Rodriguez about the Festival of the Sea because that's going on in Bowen Heads. Uh, and they're gearing up and putting out tables and putting out the bunting and doing all the things that you do with the Festival of the Sea, polishing up the ducks. I'm going to do a quick weather report and then we're going to cross live to Mark. Heading for a top of 32. The summer continues sunny today. Winds northwesterly to northeasterly, 10 to 20 kilometres an hour, becoming light in the middle of the day, then becoming south to south-easterly, so it's going to turn uh, in the late afternoon, but it will get to 32 first. Tomorrow, 28 humid showers possible. Tuesday, 25 humid showers possible. Wednesday, 21 and a few showers. Thursday, partly cloudy in 22 and Friday, 24. So it's going to stay warm today and tomorrow and then uh, start heading south as far as the temperature goes. The swell conditions today, surf conditions, clean across open beaches east of Melbourne under a northeast breeze. Water temperatures 19, ooh, it's a degree lower than it was a couple of weeks ago. So might be starting, um, it's funny the water temperature near it it's, it's It tends to hover around 20, there's about a three month time lag between air temperature and water temperature in the mm-hmm. bay. So it should stick around sort of that high teens, early 20s for a bit longer before it starts plummeting as we head into winter. Maybe, who knows? It's such a strange season, yeah, right. this one. It must be, yeah, particularly when you've, when you've got such changeable weather anyway at the yeah, moment. Yeah, that, that's it. Phillip Island, great surf for experienced surfers at Willamai, Mornington Peninsula, fun surf at Portsea and Gunnamatta around 1.25 metres. And on the surf coast, 13th Beach and Fairhaven have small clean waves. The tide times down at Point Lonsdale, uh, we are heading for a low tide at 11.08 and then a high tide at quarter to six. I think we might cross to Bowen Heads and uh, have a quick catch up with Mark Rodrigue. Mark, are you there? I am here, Brian. Oh. We're in the middle of setting up. We've got a beautiful day down here in Bowen Heads, as it is no doubt across the whole of Victoria. And I'm just just went down as you were giving the weather forecast and the tide times. Uh, yesterday we had a wonderful rock pool ramble out, low tide as you said, uh, 11 o'clock ish, and uh, the uh, the tide yesterday was exceptionally good for those people who like to get around and you know peer in the rock pools and have a bit of a look at some of the things that hang out in that beautiful marine sanctuary at the end of the end of the bluff. Now, I have to thank you up front for coming to our rescue because we weren't expecting to catch up today and I know you're frantic trying to get things set up down there so I'm not going to keep you for too long. Um, you mentioned the Rockpool Ramble. How did the movie night go? Because we spoke about this last weekend. It, look, it was sensational. To have two such wonderful directors basically in the room and not only showing their extraordinary works, uh, Mick Sarri, as you know, is just a, an absolute legend in the game and uh, shared with us some of the extracts from The Reef, which, as uh, we mentioned last week, is touring at the moment over in, uh, in the UK with a big performance in London last week. Uh, but we also had uh, Jan Hendrik Brugemeyer from RMIT, whose uh, who's students have been working with Parks Victoria, doing a whole lot of very creative pieces of work in the Nature in the Dark series, if people want to check it out online. Uh, just sensational sort of interpretation of and use of underwater footage in a very artistic way. So I just encourage your listeners to jump online, search Nature in the Dark uh, 2, which is all the marine stuff, and uh, you'll be absolutely delighted. But, yeah, sensational night, big turnout. Bit of a sweaty night in the old Bowen Head Hall. It wasn't designed, I think, for, uh, for airflow. <laughs> Probably more designed for winter. But, uh, yeah, it was a hot and sweaty night in the hall on uh, Wednesday night. But, yeah, fabulous attendance and just a sensational chance to listen to, to extraordinary people talk about their connections with the sea. Now, I know you were screening Musica Surfica. Is that something that you'd seen before? I have seen it before, yes. I had actually borrowed the DVD from uh, from a colleague and uh, had that on standby. We had uh, multiple multiple channels of uh, presentation. We had DVDs, we had uh, memory sticks, we had uh, Apple computers, we had uh, Windows computers, everything just in case it all went pear-shaped. But uh, Mick came along with his Apple. Uh, Jan had a wonderful little Apple Mackie connector thing that could talk to the system, so it all worked beautifully. But, Excellent. yeah, look, a sensational story. And, again, for, for listeners who haven't seen, uh, there's some pretty extensive clips available on YouTube to go and have a look at it. But what an amazing story, the journey of and the, the collaboration between fine art in both the water environment of surfing and the fine art of uh, classical music. Just an extraordinary experience. And again, as I said, to have Mick there presenting it and telling the, the story of how it came to be was uh, quite, a, quite a wonderful experience for everybody. Oh, it is. It's such a work of art in so many ways. Um, what have you got happening today? We're talking about polishing up the ducks. You've got the duck race towards the end. Just a, a yeah. quick snapshot for our listeners who might be okay. either well, down your way or want to head down your way. I just encourage you to jump in the car and head down to the coast, whether it's here or somewhere else. It's just stunning at the moment. And uh, that 
that beautiful summer weather we're having at the moment is definitely not going to last. Um, today we've got a, an extraordinary diversity, both of music and art and food and uh, environment expos. We've got a wonderful kid zone set up across the road uh, with some fantastic things like the Pirate Show, which will be kicking off at about 11 o'clock for all the little ones. Uh, Musically-wise, we've got a, a choir kicking us off in a, about an hour's time, 10 o'clock. Uh, we've got um, this afternoon Simon and Tim, Tim Neal uh, with his family band coming in uh, bit of a blast from the past with Mike Rudd and Spectrum coming in at a uh, bit after three. Oh, cool. And then, oh, yeah, exactly. And following the duck race this afternoon, we've got the wonderful Los Locos featuring the extraordinary Jeff Raglis and uh, and a, a band of uh, band of very, very talented people. So music-wise, it's great. We've also got some extraordinary art. I can, I'm sitting right next to the art sort of pole, art pole sculpture area. This is a this is a wonderful feature of our festival. It's been running now for 17 years where local artists basically contribute to the particular theme and this year's theme is how the ocean affects our health. So they design things generally using recycled materials that hang from poles just for a day so they only, they're only sort of here and, got, and then they're gone but they're just most extraordinary interpretations of uh, the themes that we offer and uh, a great way of uh, people being able to connect with the sea and the, certainly the health aspects of being connected around oceans. We've got, a, I can see from where I'm sitting, a, a beautiful display of some of the local primary school kids' artwork. The art teachers and the students have been busy, you know, sort of focusing on our theme that we've been exploring during the week down at the rock pools and out in the estuary, etc. Uh, we've got food stalls. Yeah, it's it's all happening down here in Bowen Head. So get on the bike, get on the uh, get on the treadley, or get on the uh, get in the car and, and come on down to Bowen Heads. Fantastic. Hey, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much, Mark, and um, yep. r- really appreciate you uh, jumping in um, without any notice whatsoever. And I hope you have a, a fantastic day. As far as weather goes, it doesn't get much better than what you've got today. So um, yeah, it doesn't get much better than this. No. Exactly. So thanks, Brian. Always good to talk. Yeah, likewise. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, cheers. Bye. See you. Bye. Mark Rodriguez there. Festival of the Sea down at Barwon Heads today. Make sure you get down there and check it out. You're listening to Radio Marinara on 3 Triple R. Good morning, John. <laughs> Good morning, We've Bron. managed to... You're here. Yes, I'm here. Yes. I've, I've run up um, <laughs> Nicholson Street and I am here. <laughs> Public transport let you down today. Oh, you know. <laughs> What do you do? Anyway, it's wonderful to have you here. First time in nine years. That's right. And, um, yeah, first time in nine years. That I've been late, That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Very good. (laughs) Now, last week, uh, a wonderful exhibition called Weaving the Waterways opened at the Koori Heritage Trust and it runs until the 14th of May, exploring Aboriginal women's relationships with rivers, waterways. The exhibition includes woven nets, baskets, fishing lines and demonstrates a continuous and evolving link with techniques passed down through generations of Aboriginal women living in and around the southeastern Australian waterways. To tell us more, we're so welcome, uh, so pleased to welcome to Triple R curator of Weaving the Waterways, Glenda Nichols. Good morning, Glenda. Good morning. Thanks so much for coming in. It's wonderful to have you here. I um, thought we might start by just talking about you and a little bit about yourself and, and how you've managed to, um, to get to this point. You're an artist in your own right as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I was born at Swan Hill in northern Victoria um, on the veranda of the Swan Hill Hospital. Like many of my siblings, um, Aboriginal people weren't allowed in the hospitals back then. Uh, I think actually my youngest sister um, was the first one to be born inside the hospital. Um, But I grew up around Swan Hill. Um, Mum and Dad did a lot of camping um, as it was back then um, to make monetary values and things. You've got to go out and do rabbiting and all that, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, we lived a lot off-country. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so how you've found your way through um, as you're an artist now. Tell us a little bit about your art. Well, it's a bit strange being called an artist because um, I'm really a, um, an admin assistant. Um, over the years, um, and because of ageism, it's really hard to get employment so um, doing art was another way of um, selling a few things and um, I wrote a book uh, back in I think it was 2014 and um, when I turned 58 I started making a bucket list so I ticked the, the book off my bucket list then um, I thought oh okay next thing um, making some art all my sisters are artists um, in their own right. So um, for me, I was a late starter um, and that was because I was too busy raising my children. Um, so, yeah, I started um, weaving, weaving fishnets because it came to me in a dream. 
or a vision of um, I had a vision of these fishnets and I thought okay um, I'll have a go at making one um, because we brought up you know we were brought up watching mum and nan um, crocheting and knitting and um, doing all those sorts of craft and even feather craft um, didn't think of anything of it you know back then um, so it was in sort of later life when my um, children had grown um, I decided to do a bit of art. Uh, weaving the fishnets was um, really interesting and it was like a journey in itself and I'm still on that journey with mm. the fishnet weaving. I was told that women didn't weave fishnets. Um, that made me more determined because um, my dad was one that never take no for an answer. There's always some way around um, a situation. So doing a bit of research into um, weaving fishnets and I found that women and children were very instrumental um, in that process. Uh, yeah. And that's what really um, led us to have you here was through uh, a press release that the Koori Heritage Trust put out and the Triple R Talks producer saw it and sent it to me and said, is this something you would be interested in? Because um, our program is all... I don't know if, if it was passed back to you, but our program is all about... Um, it, generally the marine environment but of course the marine environment connects through the estuarine and then through into into the freshwater environment as well so i saw this and i thought this is something really special and the fact that that this is something that has um brought you to this particular type of art but it's more than art isn't it and this is something that um that i was reading about storylines and the significance of this in conveying storylines can you tell us a bit about storylines and their significance oh yes um most of my art carries a storyline uh, my feather craft, um, it goes great r right back to uh, great-great-grandmother. Um, and when the missionaries came over, the um, craft was modernised um, just for monetary value for the um, people back then. So there's a story that I was told by my mum that uh, when she was young, she was about three or four, I think, uh, great-grandparents put all their... Um, uh, different skinned babies into a horse and cart because um, back then they were taking the kids away from homes and so great-grandparents put them into a horse and cart and they travelled from Narindri country which is in South Australia right up along the water system travelled right up to northern Victoria right down to Swan Hill where they finally settled so mum grew up in that area um, my dad was born in Yorta Yorta country so that's right on the Murray River as well so that um, part of, you know, the water being in our blood, really, mm. uh, it's pretty important. Um, I also heard a story that, I think it's a Rajuri story, um, about um, the creation of men and women um, in our culture, that um, Aboriginal men was made from the clay of the river, river clay, and women were found in the water. And you'll probably read that in my brochure that mm. um, I asked my mum why water was so important to women. And she said, well, without water, our babies wouldn't survive. So I thought, no, it really clicked. And I thought, wow, so maybe more of our women should be on waterboards and things like that. So mm. Yeah, nice. <laughs> now, you've got, um, uh, I mentioned that you're the curator of this exhibition and you have um, your own work in at Oconet. Can you talk us through Oconet? Because it's won heaps of awards as well. Um, can you describe visually, it's, it's hard of course, this is radio and we've got people sort of trying to imagine, but talk us through Oconet. The Oconet was the first vision I had. I had a um, vision of making two nets, the Oconet and a throw net, because I lived half my life in Queensland. Um, when I married, I moved to Queensland and that's where my children were brought up. So um, these two nets were uh, part of my journey, my life journey. The oaken net, um, I first started weaving that and you can sort of, if you have a really close look at it, I can see all the mistakes. But if you look at it on exhibition, you can't see anything there, mm. um, I hope. Um, yeah, the oaken net was, yeah, it took me about a month or so to make that. And... Um, I was going to throw it away, really, because I, I could see all the mistakes in it. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, I'll put some ochre, ochre on it. Um, I made it out of jute string, um, mainly because it's, when I'm weaving, um, I think about the string that I'm using and how difficult it was 
way back when, mm. um, our people were collecting the fibres to make the string, to make the net. So I could imagine the process and how valuable that net was. Um, and here I was, I could, you know, we adapt and that's why we're still here today, Aboriginal people. Um, I could just go to the store and buy jute string. But um, that's like a stress relief with all women when we go f- um, shopping, you know, it's um, we're buying things. So to find the, the proper jute um, was pretty important. So anyway, I'll, I wove this net and um, I decided to ochre it to give it a bit of colour and... Um, I don't know, the ochre just added something to it and gave it a, um, a bit of an aura. And I entered it in the uh, Victorian Indigenous Art Awards and I was, I was really surprised that it won two, two um, minor prizes. Um, yeah, so that was sort of like the, the first net I made and it, I don't know, I guess it sort of pushed me a bit to make the second one, mm. the next one. And I like to finish projects so... Uh, I worked on the throw net and the throw net uh, was very interesting because it's um, one of those funny shaped nets that you, you know, you, you don't see in Victoria. Of course, mm. they're illegal down here, but um, like I said, spending half my life in uh, Queensland, just, you know, watching um, the men and the women up there throw the you know, the cast net, they call it, or throw mm. net. They're the ones um, that you bunch up on your arm and then yeah. you sort of throw it out and it all spreads out over there. Yeah, over it's magic. Sw- sort of watching Schools of smaller yeah. fish, yeah. 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 yeah it's great. magic watching um, people throw those and I could never master it. Mm-hmm. I think I did a couple of times, but um, not that perfect circle when mm-hmm. it hits the water. Yeah, I've done it really well um, once and never again. Yeah, <laughs> it just... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if we can talk about some of the other artists in this exhibition as well. So um, if you've just tuned in, we're speaking with Glenda Nichols about weaving the waterways. Um, Could you tell us about some of the other artists? I've known some of the artists, um, the other artists, for a a little while, a short time. Um, Last year I was lucky enough to be chosen in a group of women that went to the Festival of the Pacific Arts in Guam uh, there was um, Deanne Gilson, Bronwyn Razan, Georgia Maguire and myself and we took one of our elders along, um, Auntie Di Kerr. And that's the first time I've actually met Auntie Di Kerr. I've heard of her but it was the first time that, you know, I've actually met her and we all clicked as a group and it was just really, really good. We sort of learned a lot about each other and our different um, styles of weaving and whatever and um, when we were over there, also sort of learning from the different cultures from all the Pacific Islanders. Mm. Uh, but these these ladies are really fantastic. That, and I had to ask them to um, put a piece in my show, as well as another two ladies, uh, Claire Bates and um, Donna Blackhall. And it, it's really interesting reading through... Um where the, your artists are from. So you've got Bronwyn Raisin from um, Gunditjmara, um, Georgia Maguire from, uh, she's Wurundjeri, Wurundjeri, sorry, um, Diane Gilson, um, Wadarang, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Donna Blackall, Yorta Yorta, as you mentioned before, and Claire Bates, and I'm going to get this wrong, Malangapa, is that right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, really interesting as far as the, the representation from, from different parts of Victoria as well. Is that something that you've noticed come through in their art? Yeah, well, it's pretty important to me because I think um, when I chose the artists, um, I was thinking about way back when our women in our groups, in our cultural groups, um, married into the men's tribe and they'd moved from their country to their husband's country. So they would take that knowledge of their weaving with them to their new country and they'd learn a new one and adapt their Mm. own style. Um, So it was pretty important for me to choose the ladies that I did choose um, to accompany the art show. Mm. So uh, just some details on the art show. So we mentioned it's called Weaving the Waterways, Women and Fishing. It's a new exhibition at the Koori Heritage Trust um, curated by a special guest, Glenda Nichols. Runs till the 14th of May. And we actually, we mentioned this last week and we had a phone call from one of our listeners asking where Koori Heritage Trust is. So it's in Fed Square. That's, that's correct. Yep. Federation Square. There's a lovely little shop there as well. 
Fantastic. Glenda, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. It's been Thank w- you for having me. Oh, it's been wonderful um, hearing uh, about your artwork and your story and uh, and the exhibition. So we'll put a link uh, to the exhibition on our Facebook page too so our listeners can, um, can get along. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Glenda Nichols from Weaving the Waterways, Women and Fishing on now at the Koori Heritage Trust until uh, mid-May. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Yes, you are. Thank you, Wayne Lynch. Uh, we can't get on to Adam Shackloff. Both of his numbers are engaged. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm, I'm flipping around trying to find the information that I have. I will get those uh, details to you because their uh, community survey closes this week. Uh, uh, and um, when we have a, a next break, I'll, um, I'll mention how you can get uh, onto um, that particular website. A couple of quick plugs I wanted to get in here as well. We were talking to um, Mark Rodriguez earlier about Festival of the Sea. Uh, there is an Art Connections program which is on during the week, hosted by Festival of the see down at Bowen Heads promoting social inclusion and engaging people in local arts activities and particularly for people who are affected by acquired brain injuries. So this goes, um, this is on uh, today. It's funded by a grant from Creative Victoria. Participation is free. Registration is essential. So uh, taking place um, throughout the Festival of Sea, including uh, the 23rd of March, which is coming up this week at Bowen Heads Community Arts Garden. Uh, so we'll put some details to that on our Facebook page as well. We're going to be very busy on Facebook this afternoon. Uh, we have got a giveaway, which is very exciting. And uh, this is a double pass to Tom Ballard's Problematic. It's at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. As always, you must be a Triple R subscriber. Uh, It's on Thursday, March 30th at 7pm. So in a couple of weeks' time, Melbourne Town Hall in the Supper Room. Uh, So Tom Ballard returning, of course, to Melbourne International Comedy Festival with his show Problematic. If you want to get along, 93881027. Of course, you must be a triple R subscriber. Coming up to 28 minutes to 10 in just a moment we're going to have in studio Malcolm Nicholson talking about his life as a marine educator and in the meantime we'll have a listen to a track from Scott Cook. This is called Your Sweet Time. I keep musing on you baby Just a whiff of you inspires I'm wishing I was with you Singing round the fire Drinking cheap wine Hey, hey. And I'm Jones and for a little bit more of your sweet time. Your love's a foreign country, baby, take the lead. I'm carrying no currency, I can't even read the street signs. Searching the lanes for a hidden doorway in your sweet time. Feel good in between my hey. And won't you keep a little room for me in your sweet time? You can bring me home to dinner. I'd even meet your folks. I promise to scrub up and laugh at their jokes. You could even meet mine.
I'm feeling like a ghost This little flame I'm holding If you guard it close It ought to keep fine Hey, hey Scott Cook, he's a Canadian artist and he's actually touring at the moment. That was Your Sweet Time taken from his new album called Further Down the Line and uh, wanted to play that one um, for some of our non-Melbourne Triple R subscribers who might want to get along because we know that you're, you subscribe out there all across the state, in fact all across the country and some of you internationally as well. So Scott's going to be playing at Beechworth um, today at uh, a house concert. He um, we know we have a subscriber from Candelo, New South Wales, John. In fact, mm-hmm. subscribers to Radio Marinara. Candelo uh, oh, sort of being, yeah. playing Candelo on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and then Tilba Tilba, which is um, very close to, you know, my, my, my sole place in Bermagui. <laughs> on um, Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, March 22nd. Then in Canberra on Thursday, big shout out to Lee Mavana, another Triple R subscriber in Canberra. You might want to get along, Lee, at Smith's Alternative on Thursday. And then on Friday, Tom Wrong Hall, uh, and then next weekend at Yakandanda, back down in Victoria, Yakandanda Folk Festival next weekend. Um, congratulations to Bill, who's the lucky winner of our giveaway to the Tom Ballard Melbourne International Comedy Festival gig. Uh, now, as you all know from our recent commemorations, 40 years ago, Triple R was broadcast for the first time and at the same time, our next guest began his extraordinary career as an environmental educator in summers on the western side of Westernport. 40 years on, like us, he's still going strong teaching at the summers school camp with an even greater focus now on marine education to tell us all about his extraordinary career and how marine education has changed over that time. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara, Malcolm Nicholson. Good morning. Good. Thanks, Bron. Thanks for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a funny little sound effect coming from somewhere. <laughs> we'll try and work it out. Sounds like some bubbles, maybe. Bubbles. Very appropriate. <laughs> now, bubbles. firstly, um, congratulations to you. Forty years as an environmental educator. What what led you into this field? I suppose, um, yeah, my background is a love of geography, and I did a double major in geography at Monash in my undergraduate degree, and. Uh, then um, and a, a primary teaching background or primary uh, primary teachers college as it was in those days and uh, I lucked into a job at, at Summers. A friend of mine was leaving to work on the oil rigs and said oh there's a spot there if you want it and I said oh that sounds pretty good so and you know that's it yeah, I've been there for a long time because I really like it. Just noticed your t-shirt too you've got a very appropriate um, t-shirt today with some beautiful fish or sharks. I'm well, trying to work yeah, out what they are. Um, Do, maybe oh they might be Cetaceans, I think, different types of dolphins. Yeah, well, um, we were travelling in Europe last year and we're in Dresden and just happened upon a little collective T-shirt printing kind of operation and I saw this T-shirt I think it looked really nice. It actually reminded me of the Port Jackson sharks, which we have, and that's a really important part of um, our marine program. Uh, and I thought, yeah, look, I think I have to have that. So, yeah, yeah. hence the T-shirt. Awesome. Now, you've um, been at Summers Camp the whole time that you've been teaching, but I understand that um, Summers Camp's been going even longer can you give us some a little bit of a potted history of Summers Camp and, and the now specific focus on marine education? Uh, well, it started... Uh, well, I think it's... Um, we don't have a specific focus on marine education. It's, it's an important part, but it's broader outdoor education as well and environmental education. So um, I need to um, establish that. But it started in Queenscliff as the Health and Recreation Camp in the late 40s. Probably some really inspired people who had come back from you know, returned servicemen, who were had important p- positions in the education department, you know, dist- uh, district inspectors and things like that. And uh, they've started um, health and recreation camp modelled on a New South Wales. Uh, 
type that was going on at the, at the same time. And uh, it, had, it was in what's called Crow's Nest, which is the army base, and the army had to resume the site, so the camp was closed down. Then the... Um, Air Force training camp at Summers became available. It had been a uh, it had been a migrant reception centre, and uh, it wasn't working really well because the fathers had to go off to Melbourne to work, and you know the families are left at Summers, so they moved everything to Springvale, Westall kind of area, and this facility was lying idle. And some inspired people once again said, "Hey, I think we could jump on board and use this." So in '59, it started up. Uh, and I think I'd probably look for the marine studies part and the whole nature study thing. Alan Reid, who was the patron of the Gould League and um, you know, a fantastic environmental educator, um, uh, had, he started up the program. And what I really liked about what he did was that it was not just in those days nature study, it was, it was really integrated with art and you know, recreation and things like that. And I think that's an important thing with the way I'd approach marine education is to not separate it out as a, uh, an item on its own, but to really integrate it into other things like recreation. So, yeah, when we're sur- we, we have surf education in the program now, and uh, which is a more recent thing, and when the dolphins come in, you've got nature in your face at the same time as you're pursuing some recreation. And getting uh, young children involved in uh, the environment and, and re- relating to the environment as they're recreating is really impo- important. Not just saying we're doing marine education now or we're doing environmental education or we're looking after nature now mm. and now we're recreating. Uh, it's really the integration of all these things across life is really important. Mm. John? Yeah, certainly. No, I, I was thinking there certainly around, around. I mean, I'm, I'm a scientist that are coming from the science side of things and that, um, you know, my experience in particular in school and in education, it's, it sort of sits in the, in the lab, you know, the science is sitting there and that's where, so even marine science would sit, but that crossover to, as you say, with art, with recreation, with naturalism even, and, mm-hmm. and the idea of naturalism, which is you know, the observation, understanding of nature without having to sort of run experiments like in a scientific way, but that, um, but blending those two, blending all those things together are really important. And I know that m- Myself as a as a marine scientist, I really started enjoying it when I when I brought in the naturalism. So when I brought in actually my my just observation of nature to try to to try to just just didn't have to analyze it. I just had to, to bring it in. And I think that that bringing those things together, in particular with recreation, whether you're out there on a kayak and you see the you see the dolphins, what you want to know more about those dolphins? Okay, yeah, of course we've got more information about the dolphins. Why don't we follow the dolphins? You know, it's, it's just yeah. And I think that that that's really important that you can get in situ can't necessarily get in a classroom but yes I think uh, in my master's research um, I was really um, impressed by the the students talking about summers being the real world and look you know summers is the real world school is the real world everything goes to make up the real world but I knew what the students were saying it was they were confronted with real life problems or, or what they perceived as real more real life problems and scenarios and so uh, that that was uh, a really important part of it. Um, they're you know they're out in the bush or they're in a marine estuary. They're walking along the beach. Those kind of things. Um, they're you know they're interacting with other students in a new community, a little community that we've constructed, and it, it seems very real to them. And I think the learning's really powerful in that sense. But I take a lot of inspiration from Richard Louvre and uh, Last Child in the Woods, uh, and that's really talking about what you were talking, John, uh, naturalism and the embedded knowledge that's in nature that doesn't require interpretation Mm. and in fact the interpretation can turn students off or turn Mm. young children off it's there it's accessible they get it all when they don't get it they ask you a question and then that's the invitation to to join in and and help them to understand a certain part of it which is which is really good and i've taken really taken that on board not ram things down their throat but just let it progress naturally and there's there's things you know like I'm really also inspired by John Dewey the um, famous American educator from 100 years ago and uh, he talks about creating educative environments or educative contexts and they're popping up all the time when you're out um, you know along the beach and on the rock pools and things like that and one really powerful one which came through an interview with uh, one of the students in my master's research was uh, a group found a dead seal on the beach at Summers and it was strangled by uh, a six-pack plastic mm-hmm. ring. And this group just stood around and they were shocked and they said, uh, we're never going to litter again in our lives. And they became uh, very evangelical about this with the other children who hadn't experienced this incident. And it was quite 
interesting to see the power of that uh, of that incident on the participants compared to the ones who were getting it secondhand. Mm. Um, and even though it did have some impact, it's nothing like uh, that first-hand experience. Uh, and I thought that was a pretty powerful thing for me to try and find those things that are happening. And that's not going to happen every day and you don't want it to happen every day, but finding those real things that are relevant and uh, in, you know, lighting the fire under them, engaging them um, with the environment so that they go on to become, uh, to become you know, really good citizens uh, considering all these things in their lives. So I think they're important. How have you um, seen things change over time? So you've been doing this 40 years, it's a long time. How have you seen things change, both in terms of the approach to education but also the way the environment has been elevated and has become sort of part of a core part of education now? Um, I think one of the big changes that I've noticed has probably been with uh, the real push for sustainability. I think that's had an impact because it's, has, it's a program that has government backing. So you have the... Uh, the star rating for uh, for schools and uh, that's been pretty powerful. Um, I think one of the big uh, the big things internationally that happened probably a bit before I started was the Tbilisi conference and the statement that came out of that and that the, the really core statement of that um, talking about awareness, knowledge, relationships, concern and particularly action as a verb, mm. uh, doing things, uh, still stands up today. In fact, it hasn't been revised. So I think that was a real, internationally a, a really important thing that's uh, underpinned really solid environmental education and that you know, leads on to marine education. Um, I think, as I mentioned, the sustainability thing has really pushed things a lot harder. But in some ways, it's um, it's a little bit disappointing. You know, part of our um, our aims at Summers, it starts off saying um, Summers School Camp aims to inspire optimism, and then goes on to say some other things. And I think there can be a bleak view of nature and you know, aspects of nature um, with and the environment, but. With young children, I think we we have to be aware uh, that it it can really turn them off, or it can it can worry them. So, finding that blend between um, the you know having to do things, taking some action, being concerned, uh, being engaged, and but not being completely depressed by it is really quite important. So, I think. Um, things like um, the ozone layer I think is a real positive and that's something we can focus on where we've uh, identified a problem and then made a change and then you go across to climate change I think uh, you know if we could take the same approach with that would be good but it really worries me that uh, we're not doing that and that has a big impact on the ocean with acidification and coral bleaching and, and those kind of things so um, yeah that's um, I think they're some of the changes that I've seen, but other changes would be more personal. Mm. And the biggest change in my life was doing um, postgraduate research, and it changed my approach to to how I um, how I deal with children and how I, how I'm trying to teach and uh, what they're learning from me and the, the approaches I'm taking. And the Richard Louv example is a good one, where I think I'm more focused on their learning than my teaching. Excellent. It's probably a good note to end on. Um, Malcolm, thanks so much for coming in. You've come all the way from Summers this morning. Oh, no, from Shoreham. I live in Shoreham. Right. And, uh, yeah, I sort of gave up maybe an early more a, a dawn patrol surf to, to get here. But <laughs> I, had a, I had a good surf yesterday and the, the PSC was running a club comp at uh, Gunnamatter. And just a little anecdote from that, during one of the heats, a seal has popped out of the water right as someone's you know, surfing on the wave. And um, yeah, I was there to watch my son, Cal, and, uh, you know, he was doing okay but uh the the really interesting thing was the the guy on the microphone has jumped a bit of a wag and he's jumped on board and he's called an interference on the seal <laughs> <laughs> so anyone nice. who's surfed in a competition would know what interference means and that was that was quite good and uh, everyone just responded to the seal forgot about the surfing and there was a, there was a whole lot of joy and i think um the marine environment and understanding and working with with nature and and particularly you know when you live on the coast the marine environment it's it's there to give us a lot of joy and if we uh, if we interact with it, we can get that reciprocal joy. We can make the, uh, the environment more joyful and it can make our lives more joyful. So I think that's really important. And certainly that incident, everyone was so, so high on, 
uh, on that. Just a little thing where nature's jumped out and got right in our face and said, yeah, we're, we're here and we're, we're, we're doing... Yeah, we're doing our thing too. Doing our thing too. And, yeah, maybe you might give me a score. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Malcolm. Oh, thanks for having uh, me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, will you come in again? Yeah, I'd love to. Let's do that. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure we don't interrupt your uh, morning patrol surf next time. <laughs> oh, well, the time that this, this show's on, it's a bit hard, but it's OK because I'll get one this afternoon. So. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, good. Very good. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. Oh, you know I love that one, Nerida. <laughs> good morning, Rex. Good morning, Bron. How are you? Well, thanks. Yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. You're yeah. a, you're you you walking like you're on clouds. Have you discovered something, Rex? <laughs> yeah, apparently he's like uh, pretty nonchalant about it. <laughs> ah, so, it's just another Rex. So, so oh, it's yeah. just another one for the, for the book. So the um, uh, when we were at our OB, you were talking about how you were heading off and looking for a wreck yeah. off Safety Beach. Yes, yes. Have we had a eureka moment? Uh, yes. Excellent. Yes, come on. <laughs> I'll break the tension, yes, yes. Come home. Came up Trump's finally. Yeah. After so, it's been a few years between drinks. So, uh, no, it's very good. Excellent. So. so talk us through it. What happened? Well, um, as, as you know, I'm doing, sort of working on a line thesis, uh, the history uh, masters I'm doing. So um, I need a subject vessel. So I've had a, had a few failures up to this point where the vessels don't exist as wrecks anymore. So um, that sounds like a typical PhD project <laughs> <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> That's two years just finding what you want to look yeah. at. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> following the answers you want, <laughs> not the answers you don't want to find. <laughs> That's so um, I, this time I, I did the research. Obviously, uh, primary research found a, a couple of sites um, which should have been up Safety Beach, Dramana area, and then. These days, it's, uh, we have the arm, armchair uh, adventurer. So I just went to Google Earth, looked for a couple of shadows on the uh, Google Earth, uh, found them. When because Google Earth, I oh, sound like an advert for Google Earth, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> Could be any any number of. G- I was called G- GE, so I <laughs> and went through that. Uh, found a nice little shadow. Uh, so GE ha- now has a function where you can go back in time. So it mm. go, went back to about 2010, something like that. Mm. So you could just sequence it, and if these objects still keep a, appearing, you've, mm. there's a fair chance it's not weed mm. uh, or it could be, could be reef. So I, I used that and I got a GPS fix off it and um, got my little uh, small e, uh, GPS, put it in a waterproof bag, put the marks in and went to Safety Beach after we did our uh, broadcast. Yeah, the Sunday, swam out straight over the top of uh, a new little wreck. So you, so you just did it from the beach, didn't yeah, you? Just, you just with your little <laughs> casual, <laughs> casual shipwreck finding so what on was, a Sunday afternoon. What was the moment when you realised it was what you were looking for? Oh, uh, just I saw, uh, I saw some ballast and stuff there. I thought, oh, that looks pretty good. That doesn't look like a, a local, a local granite. And then I just saw a, like a copper pin st- sticking out ah. the sand. I thought. Finally, you got it. <laughs> I can stop sweating. So, what do you do at that point? Do you need to contact and have this site protected? Is it a heritage protection? Well, well it's protected under the Heritage Act anyway. So, it's mm. anything over seventy-five years old is protected under the Commonwealth Shipwrecks Act. Yeah, but if they didn't know it was there, how do they know how to protect it? Well, heri- it's obviously straight to Heritage of Victoria. Um, yep. So they inform them, Latin long, and all that type of thing. Um, so it, it's. It is protected, uh, but uh, there's no sort of barrier or, or buoy or, or no. that, that on it. Mm. But what happens from here? Do they? Um, uh, is this something that is sort of bounded by? You're talking about lats and longs. So uh, can people go to the Heritage Victoria website and know not to? Obviously, you can't go down and start pulling bits out of the no. sand. But like you can swim over the top of it. It's um, it's. Well, it's obviously it goes in and out the sand just by looking through the uh, the GE uh, file. You see, sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. So, mm. at the moment, it's sort of um, there's probably sticks up, or oh, maybe twenty centimeters or something like that. the ballast sticks up twenty or thirty centimeters off the seabed. Uh, all the all the frames and that are, are all buried. So um, there's still obviously a fair bit under the sand. Mm. So is it your plan then for your thesis to dig it up? Well, what I'd like to do is uh, get some timber samples, a bit of dendrochronology, um, because there's two sites. One was the cicada and the other one was the signet. 
and one was built in New South Wales and the other was built in Tasmania. So if you could get a timber sample, then you can identify the species of timber <laughs> and likely it's, it's going to be, you know, Tassie blue gum or something like that or one of the New South Wales mess made or something from New South Wales. So you can actually identify it by going mm. through the timber. There's also other... other um, methods of um, analysis like the, the, even the size of the fixings the bolts they're, they're to a, a scale so you can go through Lloyd's register get the size of your bolts find out which mm-hmm. part of the ship it's from and just go through the tables and say oh well that's a 50 ton vessel or something like that so, so um, you, don't, you don't actually know what ship it is it's either the cicada or oh right sorry you did just say mm, that <laughs> sorry but that, that's cool or itself. the titanic I'm not so how much <laughs> so how much how much spanish gold is on this lime vessel well i can't tell you that yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's sworn to secrecy where exactly is it <laughs> but what, we was have, the, what was the lime really hiding <laughs> so what, what where to from here rex Oh uh, well, I'd like you're to gonna just, go you're gonna go back out and get your little timber samples yeah we'd like to like to get out to uh, apply for a permit obviously because you can't you need it in time you touch a wreck, you need to apply for a permit to disturb a site. But you can swim over them, but if you want to do a, like get timber samples, you need a, a permit from Heritage Victoria. Okay. Uh, so I'd like to do that and then yeah. go out and dig a little hole, get a, timber, a couple of timber samples, um, some frames or, or keelson or something like that. Something. Well, I hope it's the Signet. I reckon that's a really nice name. <laughs> you like it because of the name. Yeah, I do. Was that the Tassie one? Uh, Signet? Was it Signet? Cicada's a weird Cicada. name for a bunch. Cicada. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's, that's awesome. Cicada. Uh, Cicada was the, actually the Tassie one. Oh, so, so, well. well which is odd. <laughs> <laughs> but the Cicada was called the, originally built as the, the Gertrude. So, and that blew ashore yeah. in 1922. Signet, so Signet like, still wins. <laughs> no, I'm going for the Cicada. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put a little vox pop out there and see what people want to do. Why would you call a ship a Cicada? That that does, that's why I like sense. it. Well, that, I like it. it. I like there the is a story because the Toot Garut State, was, uh, they, they were um, mining or digging up uh, the peat to, uh, to sell for fertiliser and other, other types of uh, products. It was called uh, Cicada. It was called Cicada that was a brand name. Pete, yeah. yeah right, okay. okay. So maybe uh, that's why they called oh, it. Oh, so it's like a transport yeah. ship. Right, right, right. It, it, it was yeah, owned by the uh, Cicada. Oh, there gotcha. you go. Gotcha. Cicada right. Company. Okay, that makes more sense. Nice. Hey, yeah. thanks, Rex. That's all right. <laughs> that's awesome. Can't wait to hear the update on this. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. What's your time frame? So you're going you're gonna to go out and get your permit and then... Yeah, hopefully, yep. uh, well, I'm going away for two weeks, uh, Sailing a square rigger from uh, Sydney to Hobart. Oh, nice. Hobart to Melbourne, so. Excellent. And then probably hopefully in mid-April I'll, I'll do something. Awesome. Well, we'll catch up with you when you're back from that trip. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and see where it's all at. All right. No thanks, problems. Rex. All right. Hey, uh, thanks to all our guests today, to Rex, of course, to uh, Malcolm Nicholson and to Glenda Nichols, Adam Shackeloff we couldn't get on to. I think we might have had a technical glitch. Um, just those details, Cleaning Green Peninsula, it's a survey. You can register your interest in some workshops, but um, you need to have it. There's a 10-minute survey uh, which finishes on the 21st of March, so coming up this week. We'll put some links to that on our Facebook page and then you can have your say in uh, what cleaning green environment means for the Mornington Peninsula. So apologies to you, Adam. I'm um, not sure what happened there, but we'll put those links to our website and we will catch up with you on the outcomes of that. On next week's program, Angeline's coming in. We're catching up with the Marine Stewardship Council and also on the outcomes of an amazing symposium in Sydney on marine biodiversity. It was an international symposium a couple of weeks ago. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Thank you, Nerida. And thank you, John. And thank you, Kent. He's been in the green room. So many people behind this program. Have a great Sunday and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. Triple R. For complete access to the Triple R archives, which include over 100 interviews, live-to-air performances, documentaries and other Triple R specials, become a subscriber via the link on our website. Thanks for listening to Triple R.